0: I'm an alcoholic. My name's John. And by God's grace, strong sponsorship in the program Alcoholics Anonymous. I haven't found it necessary to take a drink or do any dope since February the 1st of 1984. And I'm more pleased about that than you know. You know, it's just... Uh... I want to thank Judy for inviting us. John and Barbara for, and Pokey and Penny for... The fun we've had you know it's I'm not a social creature I don't talk to people real well and I don't do things really well and they've got two dogs and I found a big easy chair I do easy chairs real good um, and one of those little lasers and the dog chases his laser light and I just entertain myself for hours They were, in fact, I was told this morning the dog was sitting in front of the chair waiting for me to get up. And I love AA and I love to be sober. you know. And I don't know how many newcomers are in this room or relatively new. Um, they haven't asked for a show of hands. But if you're new and in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, all I can tell you is I hope you stay here till the want to comes if you're anything like me. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous because drugs and alcohol had stopped being my friend. They'd quit working. You know, they weren't doing to me what they used to do, and I sure as hell didn't want to be here. You know, and I went to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous because I had no other place to go, no choice. And I hung around these rooms till just to stay physically sober. That's all I wanted. And I hung around these rooms and somewhere. Two years, two and a half years sober, a want to came and something changed. You know, and, and I'm I'm grateful for that. So if you're new and you you feel like you're sentenced to a life of doom and gloom, if you stay here long enough, the want to comes, and at least it did for me. And I I don't think everybody's story is that much different. I know there's some people that came right in here and put the plug in the jug, and life got wonderful, and that's not me. That's not my story. I brought a liar, cheat, thief, and pervert, among other things, to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I brought me here. You know, Jonathan shared about me holding him off the balcony. And yeah, that's he was. I had to go to work in the morning. He was crying. I was awake, and it seemed like the answer at the time. You know, I mean, I wasn't wrapped real tight when I got here. And I went through, uh, I'm going to back up, but. I, I I started drinking early, you know, for back then. I mean, twelve years old was early back then. It's not by today's standards, but early. And I come when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was looking for people to blame, you know, for for my problems. And I took a good look at my mom and dad. You know, unfortunately, you know, they've been married. We're married over 50 years. My dad's a man. My mom's a woman. They've always been like that, and they like it that way. (laughs) Neither one of them drank and caused a lot of trouble. You know, they're just good folks. My mom's from Michigan. My dad's from Virginia. And and they're just just people. So that wouldn't, I can't blame them. I blame my older brother and sister. You know, and, and Jonathan shared it. Today, my brother's 11 years older than I am, my sister's 12 or 13. And, and the difference between a program family and the family I came out of, and I'm not really blaming them, but the difference is Jonathan loves his little brother, and my brother and sister looked at me as something my parents did to ruin their teenage years. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's really the difference, you know, and it, and it, Alcoholics Anonymous has healed our relationships, you know between my brother and my sister. I, I I came from a family that was pretty pretty damn normal, really. I mean, my brother turned out to be an alcoholic, among other things, but and he's sober on the program longer than I am, unfortunately. Uh, no, really fortunately. He doesn't let me forget it, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, my family's of the type that has a lot of family get-togethers and reunions, and they'll get... The liquor counter set up and they'll pour drinks and they'll go sit down and talk. And they do that. Except for Vincent Herb. Now, Vincent Herb never sat down. They always had a can of beer and they were walking around laughing, talking, and I was following Vincent Herb from the time I was that tall. Because Vincent Herb were having fun. And they'd have, let me have sips off their beer, and, you know, I mean, it, it, as a little kid, it didn't necessarily do anything to me, but I recognized Vincent Herb were the people I wanted to be like. You know, to have fun. The rest of those people were old. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Vincent and Herb were too, but they acted like me. I mean, they. You know, and I was attracted to that. And I grew up. I grew up in a. My dad was a professional gambler that gave up gambling and, and became a, a construction worker, a union man, good union man. He raised us well. You know, and. I'd sure like to blame them for something, you know. My parents didn't deserve me is what I'm trying to say. They didn't deserve the kid that picked up a drink and tore their heart out, started stealing from them, started lying to him. you know. They just didn't deserve that, you know. And, and as I got older and the, the neighborhood we lived in, down there was a pretty dangerous neighborhood and it was a bad neighborhood and some of my friends started getting killed and my parents moved me to a better upper middle class neighborhood. And I immediately, when I left that neighborhood, I and moved into the new neighborhood. I was not going to be the same as I was over there. So I immediately over there I was fearful because people were getting hurt, and I I don't like that. I'm afraid of pain, and I immediately used my size. I was six three in the ninth grade. I mean, people called me stretch in the ninth grade. I mean, I grew and then stopped, you know, and everybody everybody finally caught up. But when I moved to the new neighborhood. I just went crazy. You know, I, I got, I was trying to play sports, and I found the people that were partying. And, yeah, I've been doing this all the time. I never had. I mean, I, I started drinking on a Friday night. By Sunday, I was smoking dope, you know. And I'd never really done any of that other than the family stuff. You know, I'd do stuff like punch lockers and knock them off the hinges. And people thought I was nuts, and nobody ever messed with me. And I liked that. I didn't have to fight a lot. You know, and, and the advice Jonathan got, turn around and walk away from a fight, came from my dad. My dad taught me that. That's a, you know, walk away. Turn the other cheek. And if they follow you and are going to hurt you, then defend yourself. And and that's where that came from. And I'm not a fighter today. And I still live by that. I turn around walk away. And I drank my way out of sports. I mean, I love basketball. At 6'3 in the 9th grade, you're a star in basketball, you know. And I was clumsy, and I still was a star in basketball. I had people looked up to me, but I didn't want people to look up to me. I didn't want people to pay any attention to me, really. And I I just drank and, and used. You know, I, I somebody had mentioned from here had mentioned La Habra Heights, and we live. the city I live in is at the base of La Habra Heights, and the Heights is a lot of avocado groves and, and big homes, and, and we'd go up to the Heights and, and, and drink in the avocado groves when I was a kid. You know, get up, back up in there, and there was a place called the Sand Pits, which is it's a big excavation that, where they get sand, and it's just, they stopped doing that, now it's just a big hole in the ground. And, and I'd go to the bottom of that, and one or two friends and I would drink. I mean, that's the kind of drinking I did from the time I was a kid. I'm not a social drinker. I'm not an active drinker. Um, my sister owned a business, a flower shop and an antique shop, and as I got older, I went to work for her. Worked on the weekends, so I always had money. Made an important discovery about 14. When you got money, you got friends. You know, you can buy people. I knew that at 14 years old. You know, and she moved her and her husband moved out here and gave me that business. I was 17, 18 years old, and I had a business. I had a pocket full of money, and they were living in some little town out here called Jerome'sville. And I've asked. A lot of people, nobody knows where it's at. It's somewhere near Ashland. All I know about it is it has a Chevy dealer, a post office, and a bar. You know, And and that's where they did. And they gave me that business. It took me two and a half years to drink and use that thing into the ground. And they came back and and gave me some cash and got me out of the business. And they've since built it back up and are doing real well. And, you know, I'm glad for them. Uh, But I just drank and used. I hired people, you know. I hired a friend of mine's wife to work for me and I violated that friendship. You know, I bought her with drugs and alcohol. I did those kind of things to those kind of people and I wasn't hurting anybody but myself. I'd get money together and I'd move out of my mom and dad's house and I'd blow it all and move right back in. You know. And I'm not hurting them people. I'm not doing anything to them. I had a friend that lived down the street that was a I mean an all American guy. He, you know, world campus afloat and an academic and I was hanging hanging with him trying to do right and I'm watching his younger brother over there smoking dope in the garage and I'd intuitively end up in the garage. And it, it got got so I spent more time in Dave's garage than Dave did. He'd get up Monday to go to work and I'd still be there, you know, drinking and and just amounting to nothing. You know, and periodically my dad would do things like wake me up and take me down someplace and get me a job. I'm tired of you on my couch. Go, And I'd work and I'd get things together and I'd I'd pull it together for two or three months, get a place, start partying, get drunk, get loaded, tear it all up, move home to mom and dad. You know, in in 1980, some things came down in the family. There was a burglary that happened to my sister's house and somebody had called my sister and said, I did it. And It's the one time I didn't rip her off, but uh, the heat was on, and every alcoholic knows what to do when the heat is on. You retreat, and I found a care unit, and I went into the care unit, and I I got the heat off. I stayed sober about 30 days, Um, and after I got out of there, and I went back out went back to see how Dave was doing in his garage, and he was still doing the same thing, and I started getting loaded with Dave and moved back to my dad's house. And One morning about 5 a.m., my dad got me up, took me down to the union hall, and backed a business agent up into the corner, and they were talking, and the business agent shook his head no, and my dad grabbed him around the throat, and I'm working. And They had a word for a character defect of mine called sloth. I, I'm deathly allergic to work, and... My dad did everything in his power to make sure I learned good work work ethics. But I went to work as a pipe fitter, and I got out on these construction jobs, and I found people that drank hard and used hard and played hard, and I wanted to be just like them. Now, I'm I'm in my early 20s, should be a man. I felt like, you know, a 13-year-old. I was scared to death, and I'm with real men, and I learned to go to bars and act as if. And I found out that he's... You stuck enough cocaine or speed in you you could out drink these old parts and they looked up to you. You know. In fact they left before you did, and the bar owner looked up to you, which is real important to have the bar owner look up to you. Um, and and I I just drank. I drank. I'm not an exciting drunk, I'm a planning drunk. I can I can name hundreds of times we sat on Friday night in Dave's garage, a bunch of us, and we're gonna to go to the Colorado River. I'm probably four hours from the Colorado River. And we're gonna to go to the river and we're drinking. So everybody leaves to get their stuff. Sometime about three in the morning we all make it back with our stuff because we had stopped off other places and drank. And we get our stuff there at three in the morning and all pass out, and about one o'clock Saturday afternoon we wake up and start drinking again and decide it's too late to go to the river, and that's the story of my life. <laughs> it's just too late to go. You know, and in in nineteen eighty two I got arrested. I had I'd come out of a pool hall bar. It's mostly a pool hall, but I come out of there, and I would rear-ended a car, and I waved them into a filling station, and I took off, and I hit the curb and blew two tires and parked my car and went back in there and started drinking and waited to get, you know, get arrested because I knew it was coming. My truck wouldn't go anywhere, and uh I did. I got arrested, and a nice guy like me had never been in jail before, and I went to jail on my first 502. I got busted for possession of cocaine a week later at the same bar. You know, I was celebrating that I was going to beat the deal with the 502. Uh, <laughs> and I it worked with my family. So I figured it's going to work with the judge. So I went back into a hospital program, got a hospital stationary and all that. And it worked. The probation officer and the judge let me do. In California, we have, it's called aversion. It's for first-time drug offenders. And they send you to school and, and do all that stuff. And. Mostly the diversion program there educated you how to stay out of the system. You know, like when it's two o'clock in the morning and thirty-eight degrees outside, don't drive with your windows down and your head hanging out of the car. <laughs> um, that's a bust. You know, they they taught they taught us things like that. But uh, I did I did I got to do diversion, and do the drunk driving school, and I had I had a loaded gun in my truck. I had a quarter ounce of cocaine with me, all stuff that you're not supposed to do diversion for. You know, I mean, God smiled on me or the judge smiled on me, or somebody did. But I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous this time. The first time through the hospital program, I was introduced to AA, but I wasn't introduced to AA because I wasn't there. You can be in these rooms and not be here. But the second time in Alcoholics Anonymous I was introduced to AA, I actually met some people, you know, and kind of looked around, and I, I still didn't want what you had. I didn't want gray hair, I didn't want to be old, I didn't want to smoke, I didn't want I didn't didn't you know and I I backed out of Alcoholics Anonymous slowly. I mean I was doing some AA and staying sober. I had about eight months sober. I took a job up in Palmdale, California, which is oh probably a two hour drive from my home. So it necessitated my staying out there on the during the week. And which was good, you know, and I, I rented I rented a furnished apartment with maid service because they have that because there's an Air Force base out there and they have things like that. And my downstairs neighbor was a sober member of AA and he went to one meeting a week and drank near beer. And I did that with him. And I went to one meeting a week and drank near beer. And one night coming home from work, I stopped at a, a steakhouse out there in the middle of the desert on Sierra Highway. And they had them big cranberry, I think my grandma used to put cranberry sauce in big schooners like with ice real thick on it, full of beer. And I ordered one because it looked good, and it was 114 out there. And it tasted good, looked good. I didn't do anything crazy or stupid. I went home, watched a little TV, got some rest, went to work the next day, went back there the next night, ordered two of them. Nothing big, no big deal. Took a couple nights off from going there. Went back the third time. Had a couple of them, stopped at a little place, shot a few things of pool, drank a couple beers, no big deal. The next night I was back, skipped dinner, went down there, had a few beers, shot some pool, met some people, bought some Coke. Checked out, moved out of the place I was living in, moved into a hotel room out there on Sierra Highway for $17 a night. Filled the bathtub up full of beer and ice. And this is a week period. Met a guy that was shooting dope. I'd never stuck a needle in my arm. And I'm slamming cocaine with a bathtub full of beer and ice, laying horizontal, peeing on myself. And that's what drugs and alcohol did to me that's where it took me. That's the best I could do. And I I lived like that up there for about three months. And you know where I ended up? Mommy. You know, I'm a 26-year-old mama's boy at this time. I went home to mom one more time. And I was trying. They were under, I thought, under the illusion that I was still sober. But I know they knew I was loaded because the phone calls home stopped and all that stuff. All that changes. My patterns totally changed with them. And I wasn't hurting anybody but myself, and I was tearing my folks' soul out a little bit at a time. You know, just a little bit at a time. And I was laying around their house one day, and I had to drink. I mean, I had to drink. It was calling my name. And I, I mean, I, and I didn't want to hurt them. You know, I, I was having that terrible fight. I gotta quit. I can't hurt these people no more.
1: And I resorted to doing something
0: that I hate, work. I mean, I went out and topped my dad's trees and took them to the dump so I could buy a six-pack of tall Budweiser. And I drank that six-pack on the way to the dump. And when I left the dump, I picked up another six-pack of tall Bud, and I drank those, and I went to the care unit. And there was no deal to beat. There was no, The only thing to beat was that voice inside my head saying, I've got to drink another one. I've got to have another one. And that was the only place I knew to go to make that stop where I was safe. And I went into that care unit hospital, and there was a lady working in the back room. Her name was Mary R. And when I came in, she'd seen me there a couple of years earlier. And a couple of years earlier, when I came out, of about my third day there, I woke up, because they'd medicated me real heavy when I went through the door. And I made a mad dash for the back door, and Mary had the last office, and she stopped me. And she allowed me to go outside and sit and think and make a decision to stay. And I I stayed through the program. But this time when Mary saw me came in, she asked me, are you through? And I said, I hope so. And she said, if I call somebody from Alcoholics Anonymous, will you go with them? No questions asked. And I said, I would. And she didn't call somebody from her home group. You know, she called another group. She called a little men's stag that was at that time in Fullerton, California. And... They came and picked me up and took me to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. My home group is called the Dog on the Roof Group. And it's, uh, it was a men's stag, and there was some crusty, real crusty old guys there. Uh, the founder of the group had died prior to my getting sober, but there were some old timers there, a guy named Bob, Bob L, and, uh, Al W, and through tough AA. And Bob said some things that first night that, you know, still baffled me. I mean, I was brand new and he called on me to share and I shared and he just ripped my ass. Pardon my language, but he, you know, about BS and, you know, newcomers and don't know nothing. And Bob used to say things that didn't make any sense and still kind of don't, but he'd say it takes a hell of a big dog to weigh a thousand pounds. And I, today I believe it was the load I was carrying when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and I got a sponsor in that group, uh, and that man's still my sponsor today. You know. And from that from that day to this, I've never found it necessary to blame my group, blame my sponsor, blame the people ahead of me in Alcoholics Anonymous for what's going on in my life. And I believe that's the thing that's allowed me to stay and stay sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because they when I got here absolutely, totally, completely out of answers, they were doing things in AA and they're still doing them today and they haven't changed those. When I'm screwed up, it's me, all me, and God's allowed me. That's what the grace of God is in my life—the ability to know that it's me, not them. You know, my actions, not theirs. And and that's the thing that's allowed me to stay in Alcoholics Anonymous, stay in my home group, and do these things. My sponsor shares that somebody punched him in the chest and said, "If you if you think you're tough, let's see you step over." And I believe that's what they're talking about—the ability that when your life's a mess, to turn around and look and say, it's my fault. It's not, you don't understand, you don't understand, it's your fault, you know. And my sobriety got really interesting really quick. Um, when I when I went to the group, there was a couple, three guys ahead of me, and I had one of the only trucks in the group, and my sponsor's wife goes to Al-Anon, and her daughter goes to Alateen, his daughter goes to Alateen, there was a call from a crazy Al-Anon who was living with a drunk that needed moving out of the house. And I had my buddy that I got sober with. Mark was my hero. He had 101 days more than me, and he was he was my pal. And so we loaded up in my truck and, and followed my sponsor in his truck, and we loaded this lady's stuff up. And Mark's a quick study, and noticed she had a bunch of broken furniture. And she's a good-looking lady, and he's he gets to thinking, and he's running this all by me, Man, I'm going to fix up her furniture and do things for her and ask her out. I said, well I'm gonna try this sponsorship stuff. And I went and asked my sponsor. Can I ask her out? And he's heard my fifth step by now and thought it'd be a good idea. Um, and I did. And I'm about six months on the program when when I started asking her somewhere in there. I'm I'm not real good on times. And and one of the other wise old timers in the group that had two years told me Al Anons have a three date rule. You know, that you're not gonna get and I'm strictly acting on lust. And he told me Aladons have a three date rule that you're not going to get anywhere until the third date, so okay, I can be patient. I'm <laughs> you know, and third third date, third date came and went, and nothing happened, and I was really disillusioned with Alcoholics Anonymous and old timers with two years. And and I called my sponsor Snivelling and that's another thing about our home group, and, and I'm really kind of proud of it. On the front of a lot of podiums, you'll see a sign that says, "We care." In my group, you don't. You see a sign that says "No sniveling." <laughs> it's, and I'm, I'm really proud of that. but I called my sponsor up Sniveling." and what, what he told me and what I heard are completely different, but my sponsor, my sponsor told me you're in the middle of an obsession and an obsession is an idea that overpowers all other ideas. I mean I was calling Cindy up and talking nasty to her for 30 40 minutes at a time, probably longer. You know, I mean just sick sick sick. And she was listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the answer to the, the answer to break any obsession is to not have any contact with it and do 30 meetings in 30 days. And I called Cindy up and gave him what my sponsor said. My sponsor said, "If we don't have sex, I can't see you for thirty days." <laughs>
1: that's what I heard. That's
0: that is that's the way I heard it. Um, we did, and we've got Jonathan. Uh, Cindy called me and said she was pregnant. And I called, the first call I made was to the union. Where's work at? And they had a job in Iron Mountain, Michigan. Now, that's as far away from anywhere as I knew you could go. Iron Mountain is like way up there. And then I called my sponsor, who wasn't home. I knew he was working, so I called home first. <laughs> and left a message on his machine that. I've got to go on a job in Iron Mountain, Michigan. There's no work around here, and the union has a job in Iron Mountain, and I'm going, and she's pregnant, and bye. And and I thought, well, I'll call his work, and I called his work, and he wasn't on the phone, left a message, and I hung up. And he was en route from work to home for lunch, and he got home, and like two minutes after I hung up, he called me back he says, I'm not going to tell you not to go to Iron Mountain, but I'll save you some money. Go buy a fifth of Jack Daniels. Go get a motel room in Buena Park. Drink, you son of a bitch, because if you run, you're drunk. And sponsors don't understand. They're mean, evil. <laughs> and so I got in my, my car and I drove up to his house. And we talked. And I got a pen and paper out. And I inventoried. And I inventoried what I felt about trying to be a father. I inventoried the situation. I inventoried all of that. And I shared it with my sponsor. And Cindy did the same thing, you know, and I mean we didn't talk about I didn't mind sharing it with my sponsor, but I had to go share it with Cindy. And we got together and we shared our writing. We prayed first and then shared our writing and made a decision to try to keep the baby and make a go of it. And I know absolutely nothing about being a dad. I don't even like working. And I recognize the fact that I'm going to have to work if I'm going to have a kid, and I don't like that. And I was nuts. Like I said, I brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous. I I, I don't believe you put the plug in the jug and life gets wonderful. It gets better. But stuff happens. And I believe as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have an obligation up here to share that. That stuff happens. It happens to me, it's going to happen to you. And you better be ready for it. You gotta go to meetings, you gotta have a sponsor, you gotta have a home group, you gotta have steps, you gotta have people in front of you that's having stuff happen to them and they're walking out the other side sober or you ain't gonna make it. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be sober today if I hadn't seen my sponsor go through surrenders. And he didn't hide him from us. And he let us see his pain. And he let us see him walk through the other side sober. You know? And I'm grateful for that. When I was new, my sponsor was more than human. You know, I mean, it was like everything I had in the world to hold on to. And when my sponsor became human, he became a tool of the program Alcoholics Anonymous to me. He entertained me long enough to become real and to realize that this stuff works. This stuff works. Um, Jonathan was... Like he said, colicky, and he cried. I'm a selfish sucker, and I need to sleep. It was Cindy's responsibility, and a lot of that was, a lot of that was the teachings at the time. Were she's an al anon, I'm an alcoholic. She's going to go nuts. I'm going to drink. You know that child's your responsibility. But I, I learned things. You know, i sometimes Jonathan would wake me up before he would Cindy with his crying and stuff, and I learned how to kind of roll over and hit her without her knowing I was awake. And just little things and just little things, you know, and I was scared of him. Christ, they're only that big, you know, and do they break? You know, what do they do? You know, I mean, what what do you do? And for a long time, the girls in Al-Anon raised my son, you know, and as I stayed sober, the guys began to help me. And John was talking about that shop, and that shop, is it's not about motorcycles, and it never has. We have a bunch of us, one of the guys in the group was a painter that had some financial trouble, went bankrupt, and we kept it. And we work on cars mostly, or did. And you got a newcomer with a beat-up old car, no money, and the mechanic wants 300 to fix it. We fix it for 100 just enough money to pay the rent. And over the years, we've put a lot of people to work there. No money. You know, you don't make any money. You make sobriety. You stand around and talk about staying sober and doesn't it feel good to help to help this person? Doesn't it feel good to see that, that Al-Anon drive out of here? Her kids have a way to get to school and she didn't have to spend $1,200 to have the head replaced on her car. You know, we got it done for about seven. You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, and if you don't think that's 12-step work, I'm sorry. It is. When you take a guy that's just a bundle and Everything's twisting and turning and spinning and thinking and thoughts and thousands of ideas a minute. And You look, you walk out the door after this meeting and you've got a guy like that and you say, I'll see you tomorrow. All that shit's whirling. Come on, man, let's go over here. i got a car to fix. You ever work on cars? No. Come on down, I'll show you. And you get down there and you, you turn wrenches with some guy that's crazy and he breaks the bolt off and you don't yell at him. You go get the drill and you drill and get an easy out and take it out. You You know. It's 12-step work, you know, and, and somebody had asked me, and I, I brought that website up, and, and my sponsor builds bikes, you know. He loves motorcycles. I, do, I love motorcycles, too. It's taken me 15 years in the program to get one. And I got to spend 15 years going alternating between jealousy and envy and feeling good for people. Once I could get jealousy and envy away, I could feel good for the guys with less time that were able to get stuff that I should have by God, you know. <laughs> That's a, that's a human emotion, an alcoholic emotion. You know, we put a bike together to put in a show, and it. In Alcoholics Anonymous isn't necessarily about motorcycles, and what brought it up was somebody cooked last night. At a dinner we were at, and he's a, he's a newcomer. and did a hell of a job. It was a good dinner. And somebody today thanked his, the sponsor and Cindy said, "Well, did Todd cook?" And I said. I think he helped, but you always thank the sponsor. the newcomer doesn't need the credit but <laughs> it's action it's action it's staying for a guy like me, it's staying busy. I don't know about anybody else my The people in my home group have to be busy. I've got a busy head. If I get an idea. And, and sleep's my favorite thing in the whole world. But if I get an idea, I'm awake all night. Do I do this? Do I do that? Should I go, no, yes, no, yes. You know, and I can do that for weeks until I end up physically sick, colds, and, you know, run myself down. And that's the disease of alcoholism in me trying to get me loaded. It's trying to get me to go for a bottle of NyQuil or, you know, those kind of things. It's, so, it's, it's that sensitive in me. It's that sensitive. I got problems, don't you understand? And the answer—the answer hasn't changed since my, what I learned in my first 90 days. I change. I get a little more sober, and I get stuff. And I don't need to call him on this one. I know what he'd say, anyways. And I get in trouble when I do that. I get in trouble when I do that. Jonathan has shared about. We made him go to Alateen, and yeah, we do. We got a program home, and. We have preaching down there too and they let kids in now. It used to be 7, but in our group we took it down to 5 because at 5 they can sit still for an hour. Don't care what they hear, they can sit still for an hour and they hear something. You know, and as soon as Jared's 5, Jared's going to have his button in me because we have a program home. And there's a standing rule in our home as much as as much as we love each other. If one of us quits going to program, you're gone. That's me, that's her, that's Jonathan. He can go go live with his grandmother or whatever. And it it may seem cold, but if we're going to survive. Just because I'm sober 16 years doesn't mean jack. The disease of alcoholism is sitting right here all the time. All the time. And if we lose God in that house, and if we lose program and we lose sponsorship, I'm that far away from where we were when I was holding him over the balcony. That's just an indicator that I'm capable of that. I don't like to think so. And that's the truth about John. Sixteen years gives me a buffer and it gives me some time, so it, I, I didn't mean to say it like it don't mean Jack, but it does. The disease of alcoholism is right here, and it's, and the big book says, contingent on your, you have a daily reprieve, contingent on your spiritual condition. God's been good to our family, and He's never let all three of us get in a bad place at the same time. And, and it, it, that's the truth. It just is. Cindy and I can be in a bad place and Jonathan's up. I can be in a bad place and Jonathan can be in a bad place and Cindy's up. You know, and it works that way. And I don't know if you're big on slogans or not, but they really do. Nothing's worse than to be ready to choke your son to death because he's not doing his homework. And Easy does it, Dad. And you can't. I can't get mad at him for using program. In fact, I end up laughing. You know, I end up laughing. I mean, I didn't think with Jonathan about discipline. I knew Jonathan loved computer games when he was little. He loved the piddle on the computer, you know. And I was going to use that as a discipline. You know, you can't play computer games for 30 days. You can't. And then I talked to my sponsor, and my sponsor says, You dumb. Don't take away something from him that will better him. The more time he can spend on that computer, whether it's playing games or whether it's doing his homework, the better he's going to become, the better student he's going to become. Take away something else. And we talked about it, and we decided he didn't need to watch cartoons for, you know. And it's like that with Jared. Jonathan talks about Jared at the computer, and we bought him some learning games. And I'm not real computer literate, I get by. But it's funny to watch a three year old. All you can see is the top of his head in that big chair working the mouse and <laughs> and, and playing a computer, you know. And whether you know it or not, that's a program, Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, and Alatine. you know. My sponsor shares it. To, he doesn't see how anybody can be so selfish as to come to this program, find ways to live, ways to give to people a God, and then not want their children to have it. You know, and I've allowed Jonathan and to not like it, not want to go, and not and go anyways. And he hung around long enough till the want to comes. Jonathan's real active in service, real active as you can tell by his story. Me, I'm I, I'm active in service at, at the group level, in my group a lot. I have a lot of little commitments that I do at the shop, at, in the meetings, and all that. I occasionally go into the penitentiary. I used to do a skid row panel, that's no longer there anymore. You know, another guy in our group took it over when I became possessive of it. Because that's the way I am. It quit becoming the dog on the roof panel and it became my panel. You know, and my sponsor and his wisdom pulled me off of it. And my my little ego wanted, almost drank over that. They don't understand. You know, I love AA and I love service. I, I was laughing. They're talking about concepts and I asked my sponsor when I was new. What are the concepts? He said, the only concept you need to know is if you don't pick up a drink, you won't get drunk. And he said, now, ain't that a concept? And I haven't asked him again. Uh, You know, I haven't asked him again. I love being sober. Cindy and I have been married as long as we're sober, 16 years. Well, September, that's like 16 years. You know, we got married... uh, in 1984, at the Southern California Convention, my sponsor happened, was chairman that year, and he left the chairman's dinner to take us to a chapel actually, to a house with Christmas lights and a preacher. It was cool. And, <laughs> uh, I still had thoughts of running, and my group was really spiritual then. Mike, the old timer of two years, had told me about the three day rule. He had a 44 special in his boot, and he pulled it out and said, you run, I'm going to shoot you, and I, you'll kill me? He says, no, I'm just going to shoot you in the leg. (laughs) And I mean, I I really seriously thought of running, you know, and still. And we went down, and my sponsor caught a lot of heat for leaving that to support us. And I'm grateful he did. And I got, my friends bought men rice, the hardest stuff you could get. It's just been good. (laughs) It's, It's If you're sitting in here and you don't have a home group, I I don't even know what to, I don't even know how you're sober. I don't know what to tell you because I have to have that because there's a group. My group's a men's stag and it it stays about fifty people. The faces obviously change. You know when I got there, it's a three page long phone list and I was on the last page. I'm on the first page today, up near the top. You know that means the odds aren't good, but there's people that know me. Know everything there is to know about me. They know when I'm telling a lie. Not even, when I'm not telling a lie. When I've got the lie of omission. When I'm leaving something out. They can tell it by my actions. They can tell it. And if you don't have that, I don't know. Because the more I get into that and the more it's rolling, the more this turns into a whiskey bottle instead of a bottle of water. You know. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for sponsors. We were talking outside this morning and the messages I get from God are not good. Never have been. Unless they're coming through a sponsor or somebody in my group. There's been times in my sobriety when I've got well enough to go straight to God, bypass. He's busy. And I always end up in trouble. Always. I still do dumb things based on dumb decisions based on my information as long as i put a sponsor in there as a buffer between my information my life's gotten fantastic you know even with problems even with problems in fact the standard of my problems have risen (laughs) you know I was 26 years old, living on my mom's couch with about a buck 89 in my pocket. I own two suits today. I didn't even have a suit then. I got a fat suit, which I'm in, and I got a skinny suit. <laughs> you know, um, and that's not what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. You know, if you're new and sitting in this room, or relatively new and sitting in this room, really to me, Alcoholics about, Anonymous is about not drinking. Don't pick up a drink or do no dope, no matter what. I, in 16 years, I haven't done any medication of any kind. I haven't picked up a drink. I haven't done. I don't. I don't even much like aspirin. I'll take them occasionally, but that's. I don't take antihistamines. I don't take. I don't take anything. And antihistamines, I suppose, are okay, but for me, they kind of make me dry mouth, and it's like cotton mouth. And if I got cotton mouth, I want to be wired, and it, that's just a personal choice. But I don't take any of that. I don't need it, because usually when I'm sick, just for me. Usually when I get physically sick, it's got something to do with my spiritual condition. And it's an amazing how that... I used to think my sponsor was so full of... When he would say that when I was new. But the longer I've stayed sober. When I get out of fit spiritual condition, I get myself run down, weak, and susceptible to illness. And that's just for me. And that's my belief and my teaching, and, and I believe that. And so it's not necessary to do all that stuff. It's necessary to, to get back... God, I don't feel good, but I think I'll go talk to a newcomer. I think I'll go to a meeting. I think I'll do these things. And I meet, I meet you over here. God, you did that? You got that going on? That, oh man, I don't feel bad. And that's Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous is getting on an airplane (coughs) and coming all day on an airplane and coming into a strange town and it's not for this, I'm not saying for this commitment, but you can, I've done it for other reasons. And you spend all day on an airplane and you come into a strange town and you're welcome in people's home you never even met. Now go back to work on Monday and tell them, what'd you do when they ask you, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I flew to Dayton, Ohio. Have oh, you got family there? No? Well, what'd you do there? Went to some people I've never met before and spent the weekend in their home. <laughs> That's only in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, only in this only in this fellowship. And Barbara and John want the same for me and Cindy that I want for Barbara and John. I want him to stay sober, and I want her to stay sane in the program Al-Anon. I, I thoroughly believe alcoholism is a family disease, and my group, group promotes that heavily. We have the preteen and the alateen. We have a family meeting where the kids on Saturday morning, We stole it from another group down in Texas, but we have a meeting where the preteens and allateens start out sharing. It it alternates sharing, boy, girl, boy, girl. And the kids start it out, and then it goes to the adult progressively up through time, and our meetings are always capped off with the old-timers so you don't leave there in the problem. But those kids that sit in those meetings that were forced to go have grown tremendously. There's a little girl. And Cindy knows the story a lot better than I do. I sponsored the preteen meeting for a while and I'd been in there over a year and a half and my sponsor said now it's time to go work with drunks again. You know, and I, I went back to meetings and, but there's a little girl in there and her dad died about four months ago, separated. And she just kind of like, it's not even happened. And a newcomer came in to the group whose dad just died. And I'm kind of telling Cindy's, but I want Jonathan to hear too, that Cindy said, Uh, Her her dad just died. Well, mine did too. And she went up and talked to that kid. There's not a kid that can come into our hall, a strange kid, that those kids don't go up and welcome into the group. Now, you see a bunch of selfish kids playing, and a stranger walks up, and usually they don't even look up, you know, or give it a second thought if they do. And in those rooms, a new kid is brought, 90% of the time is brought right into the group. There are times when you have to go over and remind them. But for the most part, and that's the program. That's the program. And I don't know about you, but I want Jonathan to have a chance. Because the disease, the disease runs through my family. And it's, it's just, it is. It's my grandpas were drunks, my mom's brothers were drunks, there's alcoholism on my dad's side, and I believe there's a chain in there. And today, standing right here, right now, that chain is broken. Because he has a choice. And to this day, standing here, right now, he's made the right choice. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know what the next day is going to bring, but as long as we have this program, there's a chance that that chain is broken, and I want that for my family and I hope you want it for yours enough to make your kids go to these ballot meetings and to get involved with them. The women all go out of town they have a they have a retreat that they go on, and the dads get the kids and It's like every year what do we do? Let's take taken to the shop and last you know which isn't good, you got. Little kid, little baby standing in oil, and you know <laughs> you got the oil drain bucket over there with the kid jumping up and down in it
1: <laughs>
0: so my my group got together and decided to let these kids put on their own camp out. A lot of them the, the guys do a men's stag camp out twice a year. We go out to the desert, and it's and coincidentally, it's on holiday time, it's Thanksgiving and usually July 4th, but this year we're going to be at the International, so we're doing it another weekend. We go out to the desert, because it's down in my town, it's nuts on the holidays. There's people drinking that don't drink. And when people are drinking that don't drink, they shouldn't be driving, and they are, and it's dangerous, and we get the hell out of there. (laughs) It's just that way. It's safe. And we do this, and the kids want to go camping with us. Well, that's the men's So we let the kids put on their own camp out. We let them make the committees. And I'm talking... You know, five, six, seven-year-olds, we let them plan the menu. We edited it a little but We let them plan what they wanted to do, you know. And we got a state park out there that has camping, and, and we took them out to let them have their own bash, their own weekend. And we let them do their thing and not thumbs down on them. You know, there's pictures of my three-year-old sliding down a hill just on a piece of cardboard that's like, ah, you know. And I walked away and I let the six-year-olds and the seven-year-olds and the eight-year-olds watch him and protect him. Because there's no spot where God is not. And if I'm in there messing with it, he's gonna have a rotten time. The other kids are gonna look at me and hate me. And I just, I just stayed out of the way. And I mean, I didn't totally walk away, you know, and, and not be ready, but I, I let those kids do it. I let those kids take care of each other. And most of the adults here did that too. And you know what? At six, seven, eight years old, with a little bit of program in them, they take pretty damn good care of themselves. Our kids are a lot sharper than we give them credit for, or at least than I give them credit for. And I learned that here. You know, I learned that here. If you're new, and I always say if you're new and sitting in this room, but if you're in this room, I hope you find what I found here. I found some real content days. I found some happiness. I found a family. I've had relationships healed. By putting the program first. My family, like I said early in my talk, was, my mom, my, my belly button family, their family get together type people. <coughs> and I didn't go to those things. I went to Alcoholics Anonymous when I got sober. And I rarely, rarely go to those things today. And I used to get hate letters, I mean vicious letters from my sister. Ugly, mean, when I was new. About how could you be so selfish when we're all over here. And all it is is they wanted to stand me up and say, look, he's sober, Any he wonderful? And I just stayed here in Alcoholics Anonymous and did those things. And time healed the wounds. Time healed the wounds. My sister and I have a good relationship today. We don't spend a lot of time together. We'll zip something on the email. We'll call each other on the phone. You know, we'll see each other. We do things in our group at Christmas, you know. have a place for alcoholics to go on Christmas that don't have a place to go. And Cindy and I have places we could go but we're there with the drunks with the Alanons. and at the end of the night late after all the group stuff is done 10 11 12 o'clock we go over to one of the folks house and see him and today that's okay with them you know today that's okay i've been able to keep my priorities straight and my priority is sobriety you know and time is taking care of all the rest of the stuff i've i've learned a lot about amends that way You know, every amends that I have tried to rush into that I thought had to be fixed right now, I've only made worse. When I've gotten out of the way and been with drunks, they work out when they're supposed to. The person pops up. Time takes care of it. I get a phone call. You know, and I don't want to talk much about Salt Lake, but what made Salt Lake so special to me? Because I was scared to death when we shared there. Because I, I, I'm I, not worthy. You know, I'm just a lay down horizontal piece straight up in the air kind of drunk. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, what made that so special was a couple hours before the meeting, my home group. They were there, but they had gotten together and they had a meeting. And everybody shared in that meeting and brought it back down to basics. No ego, no nothing. This is what our group is about. This is what we stand for. This is why you're sober. This is who you are. Because I, you know, when you're going to, when you're going to talk, you can lose sight of that. I wanted to call my sponsor this morning and got the, get back to basics. Tell them where you got it, how you got it, what got you here. You know. And anytime I'm trying to do more than that see, I'm three thousand miles from home and I can stand up here and be anybody or anything I want to be, I can do that. I can lie. God, I lie good. And I have to make that phone call in the morning and call my sponsor and get reminded of what I need to do. Because I'd rather you think I'm wonderful. But I'm not. I'm a liar, cheating, thief, and pervert. It's better today. Today, because of the programme Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm on a job today that I tried to steal nothing from. You know, I, I went to work at Six Years Sober for Hughes Aircraft, and, and they they closed down. Uh, when I left Hughes, I didn't steal a thing, and I could have. I could have taken a bunch of stuff. Now, my work partner, Louie, when he got laid off a month later, my house is halfway between the job and his house. I come home one day in my garage full of stuff, and I call my sponsor, and, you know, what do I do with it? You tell a guy to get his stuff out of there. And that's what he did. He took his stuff and left mine. he st- Louis stole all my toolbox and my, my stuff and put them in my garage. And I can't very well take them back to Hughes now. You know, it's, uh, and what I, what Alcoholics Anonymous, what I've done with that, the toolbox went to a guy that got sober and wanted to be a mechanic. And couldn't afford a toolbox. He was working out a little plastic thing. And I gave him a roll away. You know. The ladder went to the group, to the hall. You know. Just those kind of things. I still have the snake, the drain snake, and when people in the group, plumbing, plugs up, I go snake it. Don't charge them. I go fix the drains. No, you know. And that's the only way I don't know to make those kind of things right. And today, the best of my ability, I don't steal. The janitors leave. I'm really cheap. This is tacky too. But the janitors leave half. <laughs> they change the toilet paper and leave half rolls. And they're, they're going to throw them away. So I asked my boss Can I have those? <laughs> I'm cheap. That stuff's expensive. I haven't bought toilet paper in six months. <laughs> You And the moral of that is Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me to ask. Because if I had taken the toilet paper without asking, it's not too long till I'm taking some tools, and I'm taking something here, and I'm taking something there, and most of all, I'm stealing time. Because I can steal time at work real easy, too. So I've learned to ask. I even had to inventory what I do during the day at work. And I turn it in once a month to my boss. She didn't ask for that. I just started doing that. So I don't cheat. And I learned that here. I learned that here. See the tools for everything I need to know how to function and live out there in the real world I learned here. To learn to learn how to take my three year old at night and go in there and read a bedtime story to him. And we do. We very seldom miss a night. And I couldn't do that with Jonathan. You know, Jonathan, I, to the best of my knowledge, he ain't jealous of that. And he doesn't hate his dad because I can do it with him and I couldn't with Jared because of this program. Because Jonathan understands and he's learned about the disease of alcoholism. That through sponsorship and through this program, when Cindy got pregnant with Jared, Jonathan was a part of that right up until the moment of delivery and then he left the room. He got to see his mother go through labor and the whole thing. And that may be much, but we wanted him to be a part of that, to know that he is, he's my number one son, man. You know? And I might not have been a good daddy when I was new, but I'm sure trying like hell now. And the only way I can do that is continue to stay sober. And the whole message that we we bring today is that AA, Al-Anon, and Alateen work, and we're a family because of it. God knows what tomorrow will bring. I don't. But today, standing here right now, three of us got on an airplane, flew here, got off an airplane together. We've gone to somebody's home that we don't even know. We've conducted ourselves reasonably well. I get the dogs a little stirred up. But... <laughs> and we're going to, those dogs are funny, and we're going we're gonna to spend the rest of the day here and to the best of our ability. I'm... We're not going to offend anybody, take anything that doesn't belong to us. We're going to remain a family. We're going to go back to that house tonight, terrorize the dog some more, get up in the morning and go to the airport and go home a family. And that's what the message is. If you want that, you can have it too. And it's going to take everything you got. It's going to take a a hug and a squeeze when times are hard. It's going to take shutting that thing off for just a second when it says, Give up and run. You gotta do that in order to enjoy the good. You gotta do that to enjoy the good. And God, I hope you find what I found here. Thank you.